Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we will continue discussing Diane Downs, the mommy murderous case. We hope to answer the following questions. Have you ever made someone's pulse jump up 50 beats per minute? Did you ever dress up as someone famous? If someone wrote a book about you, what would be the title? So listen in and find out more. But for now, try not to end up on the episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, welcome back. It's your host, Vanny. And this is Kat. So is Kat. Anything exciting? Any confessions you've had this week? Uh, no, no confessions. Just kept it kind of close to home. Yeah, nothing nothing too crazy, huh? No, no. Just had some stuff and stuff to do around the house, errands, all that stuff. Oh yeah, you mean adulting? Yeah, adulting, yeah. We, <laughs> could, we, couldn't, we couldn't take off in, in the little tiny camper and take off. So yeah, we were kind of stuck around the house. Any exciting things for the weekend to come? No, not too much for this next one. Although I do know we have a potluck drive-in coming up. What's a potluck drive-in? That's interesting. Oh yeah. We have this crazy group we go with and we go to the the Glendale 9 drive-in theater Mm -hmm. and we potluck. So Dave's usually barbecuing. So I think coming up, he's doing ribs. Last time he did pulled pork. And then we just bring a bunch of food and popcorn and stuff, and we park the cars behind, and we take about three or four rows, and we all have our chairs, and we just, we literally pig out. It's a full-on potluck. Sounds good. People are going back and forth to the snack bar, and they're like carrying a slice of pizza. They're like, oh man, it smells so good. (laughs) Speaking of food, I think I still owe you some pork chops. Our early listeners will understand that one. <laughs> even, even my husband was like, hello, babe, you owe me some pork chops. Like, you've been talking about this infamous pork chops. Like, you're the best cook for pork chops. And where's the pork chops? Okay. I'm like, okay, sorry. It's been a while. I have an excuse now, you know? I just, I'm pregnant. I, I can't cook. <laughs> I don't know. Can you still see your feet? Yes. Thank God. Oh, okay. I'm going to feel so bad for you when you get to the point of you can't. I'd be like, oh, God, please let it come. Give her relief. Yeah, there's going to be a part a part when uh, one of these episodes where I'm like, ugh, ugh, because I'm getting like karate chopped inside, you know? <gasps> baby kicked, baby kicked. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get going on our uh, for our listeners and let's do our continuation of our question of the week. So last week's question of the week was, how many murders does someone have to do in order to become a serial killer? And the answer to that is three or more. Now, that was very interesting that it has to be three or more. I think FBI was kind of like the one that came up with this term, right, as we learned in a previous question trivia. But, yeah, I think three or more. And do they have to be in uh, separate locations or something like that? or is it Yeah, like- yeah. I mean, you can't just, like, go into a Circle K to rob it and you, you accidentally shoot three people doesn't make you a serial killer. It's just you happen to kill three people 
in one instance, but it has to be, you have to kill like three people, three separate incidents, three separate locations. So now I'm curious, like what makes you an assassin and what makes you a murderer? Well, if I had to uh, guess that serial killer is doing it for power, for kicks, for whatever, and an assassin is, he's getting paid. That's just his job. Hitman, assassin, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's how that person makes their living. I thought like once you like say, for example, the assassination of like JFK, right? I thought it was because of some kind of political gain or something to that aspect. Well, for that, yeah, that was kind of a special. Or like when Lincoln was assassinated. But they sought out a special person to do that. And I can pretty much guarantee you that John Wilkes Booth was paid. Not to mention, I'm sure they, you know, had a little escape route and he had assistance. But yeah, I'm sure that that he was paid. But you get into like Kennedy and stuff. They had to have a, a patsy, a fall guy. Because America was going to demand that the person who did it be caught. So here, we got the guy already. We're just going to do it, even though they proved in the autopsy there were two bullets. But we've made this guy the patsy. Which, by the way, this is a side note. I'm a big JFK fan, but November 22nd is when he got assassinated. And this is being Mm -hmm. released on the 23rd. So. Ooh. Anniversary. <laughs> oh, that's how you got your little your little JFK dig in. It's a confession. It's confession. I, I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> JFK love. Yeah, because producer Dave is like, whoa, you guys really went off the reservation on that one. <laughs> the whole JFK thing. So there yeah. you go. Sorry, producer Dave. <laughs> <laughs> now that we got in our questions and my giggles out let's kind of remind the listeners to our case and give a little reminder of what this case is about oh okay well great with great pleasure on may 19th 1983 diane downs entered an emergency room bay in springfield oregon her three children christy eight cheryl seven and danny three were in the back seat covered in blood they had been shot point blank so this crazy woman went and shot her kids and then tried to blame the bushy haired man in his late twenties and a Levi denim jacket that stopped her on the side of this deserted road, tried to carjack her car. And when she wouldn't give him the keys, he shot her kids and then shot her in the arm. So she goes to the hospital. They're, they're treating the kids. You know, one of them had died on arrival. So they're taking care of the kids. She's just being worded the interview. She's like eerily calm given a description of this fake guy to police, the police were concerned and they actually put the kids under, under 24 hour protection. So as they start to investigate this case, nothing is making any sense. So she's saying, Oh, it's pitch dark out. I took the kids sightseeing. She's on a deserted road, stops for somebody. She has no idea who it is. Jamming out to hungry like a wolf. Yeah. (laughs) Sped to the hospital, yet she was there was witnesses that reported the car going five to seven miles an hour. She has a little bandage on her arm where she conveniently had a non-threatening wound into her left arm. Not even a band-aid on the kids, didn't even try to do anything. So they're in the hospital. They uh wouldn't let her see the kids without police there with them. And there was one point that uh, she was allowed to go up and uh, see the kids. And she was with Christy and she was in the room and she's like, 
faking, you know, took her hand like, oh, mom cares so much, you know, about you. And so she, she took her hand and the staff immediately saw like her eyes kind of glaze over in fear. She still couldn't speak because of the severity of her injuries, but like her eyes went like, Whoa. Yeah. And they had her uh, on the pulse ox, which checks the oxygen and it monitors your pulse rate. She went from 104 pulse to 147 in like an instant. As soon as her mom touched her hand, her pulse rate shot that high. Immediate fear. So they were kind of like, oh, yeah. So that kind of gave people a clue. They just, they couldn't put the pieces together. So it was like the driver's side of the car. Supposedly this guy leaned in the car and shot the three kids. There was no gunpowder residue at all on the driver's side door panel. She shot in the arm. There's no blood on the seat, the steering wheel, the floorboards, anywhere on that side of the car. The whole area that was the driver's side, there's nothing. So that, you know, that was a big telltale. Yet when they went and they tested the kids, the kids had powder burns. What's going on now, right? They, they had that question pop in their head like, wait, all the stories that you just told us, throw it out the trash because nothing's making sense now. No, it doesn't. So they're like, okay, how did this guy get on this dark, deserted road? It would make sense that he followed her and then, ooh, she's going down a dark, deserted road. Cool. This is my chance. Where was his car? And she even said he ran off on foot. And then if he did follow her in a car, how did he get in front of her? Because remember, she says she's going down the road and he was in front waving Waving. his arms to slow her down. So how did he get in front? And they never found a car. In fact, they never found him. So here's police searching for this bushy-haired guy. Anybody that had thick, bushy hair is getting pulled over by the police. The whole town is in a panic because this crazy, bushy-haired guy just randomly shooting women and children. So the town has got to be getting suspicious you know, of people, this big manhunt. I mean, they had city detectives, they had county detectives. I think the FBI was slightly involved in this and this whole big rigmarole, just searching the city and just going through all this when it didn't even happen. I think it just brought more fear to the town by all of that happening because it freaked everybody out. Oh yeah. I mean, who would just stop a car and shoot three kids and shoot the mom? Mm-hmm. You know, people were feeling sorry for her. They were panicked. All this stuff is going on. Oh, and then, too, what added to the suspicion was um, at some point they were interviewing her in the investigation, and she signed for them to do a search warrant on her house. Mm-hmm. So they go and they do the search warrant, and they find the letters and the diaries. So here's all this, dear Mr. Knickerbocker, I love you. We had a good thing going <laughs> kind of stuff. And one of the things that she mentions in there is about how I know you don't want to, I don't know, I know you don't want to have kids or you don't want to have kids. You know, I'll do whatever it takes to, to make things to be with you. Ding, 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 ding. Some people call that a clue. Yeah. She was just going on and on. And then there were some that she was mad. You said you were coming up here. I, what do you mean? You say that we're through, we are not through blah, blah, blah. I was like, Ooh, kind of stalker stuff. I mean, she even flew out. I mean, she came back to Phoenix. That was the crazy part. Like, what mm-hmm. happened to her kids? Where did where were the kids at? Maybe stayed with their grandparents. But if she flew out here to confront him in person. I mean, that had to be scary for the guy. He's like, psycho just showed up at my house. Exactly. So, yeah. And May had all this evidence in her own handwriting. Mm-hmm. Hello? And you're going to sign a search warrant. Because she's narcissistic, antisocial. I'm smarter than everyone. 
I've got this. You know, they'll believe these stories. I can talk my way out of anything. They get ready and they're arrest her. We're getting ready for trial. So as all this is looming, so somewhere in the back of her little mind, she's like, well, maybe things aren't going so well. So now I've been arrested and I'm, you know, facing a trial and who knows what. So I need some sympathy. I need to look a little bit more sympathetic. I know I'll get pregnant. Yeah. Who thinks that? So being the clever mail carrier that she was in Cottage Grove, she decides to seduce one of the poor men on her mail route. And the poor guy afterwards had to be thinking, oh my God. What the heck did I do? Exactly. But anyway, so she seduces him. She gets pregnant. They arrest her and, you know, we're going to trial. And at the time of the trial, she was showing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was visible. So she's, you know, sitting at her trial. It was a 31-day trial. I thought that was kind of on the long side. Yeah, it was pretty long for... Yeah, and some interesting sidebars. Lane County was having uh, some severe budget issues and crisis. So the prosecutor that got assigned to this case, it was his first homicide, his first uh, his first major case, mm-hmm. as well as the judge. The judge was a juvenile. He sat on the juvie court. And even though there were other judges that were available, they uh, wound up promoting the juvie guy. So it was his first adult case. case and it was uh, Mr. Hoogie's first murder trial. So I thought that was kind of interesting. What I thought was crazy about while the trial was going on was because Diane Downs was pregnant, she was dressing up like Princess died because people started you know, associating that she looked like her similarities, like she was a pretty girl. And there's even like a dress, I guess, that Princess Di wore when she was pregnant of uh, Prince William, and she decided to wear it too. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's kind of creepy. So now she's like stalking in a weird sense, Mm -hmm. you know, Princess Di. And all of a sudden now we've got the button up, the high collars, long sleeves. (laughs) Yes. And she's, yeah, pregnant and doing that. The other sidebar that I thought was really kind of amazing and kind of brought a tear to my eye was uh, Fred Hugie, the prosecutor. He and his wife, Joanne, they adopted the kids. I think that was like, he got really close to the kids, right? It was his first case. He felt like the father figure to the two surviving kids, right? And also kind of like, maybe it was normal back in that time, but nowadays it would be a red flag, like, why? And I'll kind of like go into it a little later, but it kind of becomes a red flag later on to people that believe that Diane Downs is innocent. It was that he adopted them to keep the children hush hush because he told them to say that the mother shot them. Yeah. And I was like, how did they, he and his wife get custody? So where was Steve? Well, Steve was in another state and Steve really didn't so much want kids. So if Steve decided, hey, I'm doing my thing, because keep in mind, you know, Danny's paralyzed from the waist down and Christy had really devastating injuries. So these weren't even healthy kids. I mean, these were kids that really took a lot. So maybe Steve just signed away and said, Hey, you know, God love you if you're willing to uh, take these kids and take all this on. But also even the grandparents didn't get an option either. So that's a little weird. Yeah. I don't know. Unless it was like, it comes back to like Diane speaking about her getting sexually molested or whatever she said that her dad did to her that led them to not allow them to adopt the children. I don't know. Yeah, there's really nothing about that past 
you know, he and his wife adopted. And that was like the end of that. And then she ends up giving birth to this baby that she's pregnant with, right? Yeah, in between the trial and her sentencing, she she pops out the baby. It's a, uh, the fourth child, baby girl, and she names her Amy Elizabeth. No, that would be the fifth, because the fourth was a surrogate. But her own, like, surrogate's oh, not really oh. hers. Okay, okay, I see. My bad. Yeah, so it was like, I guess, apparently 10 days before her sentencing that she ended up having the baby. The state of Oregon ends up taking her, and a couple adopts her, and they rename her. Yeah, she named the baby Amy Elizabeth, which, why? Because you had to know that this happened between your conviction and your sentencing, so you have to know you're going to jail, so why would you even bother naming the baby? But mm-hmm. she did, and uh, it was Chris and Jackie Babcock that adopted, and they, they changed the baby's name to Rebecca. Right. And I think I would have, too. I mean, not saying I would have changed it to Rebecca, but I would have changed the name Mm -hmm. just to not have anything to do with that. But what I thought was interesting was um, at her trial, the jury deliberated for 36 hours. Wow. Seems kind of short to me. Mm -hmm. For 31 day trial. Yeah. 36 hours was almost an hour a day. But I think when your daughter gets on the stand and says, I watched mommy do it. Mm -hmm. Eek. And it was a unanimous verdict. It was like, boom, straight up guilty. So she initially gets incarcerated and stays in Oregon, right? But then somehow she escapes. And I'm still, I didn't understand like how she escaped the 18 foot razor wire fence. From anything that I could find was uh, she was at the Correctional Center in Salem and she somehow climbed up that fence and got over that razor wire. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that would have chewed her up pretty good, but she got over it and they were doing count. And this is why in corrections, count is so important. It's the Mm -hmm. most important thing that happens in prison every day is they did count and we're a body short. Alarms go off. (laughs) Alarms go off. Place is getting locked down. And she, it was for 10 days. Like she was gone. She was literally free for 10 days. So here she gets out and she flags down a couple. Now I'm thinking, wouldn't she be bloody from the razor wire? I mean, she's in prison uniform. And this couple just stops and uh, they pick her up and they drove her to a restaurant three blocks from the prison. <laughs> So let, and she got out because she wanted to make a phone call because her boyfriend needed money because uh, he was going to prison or something. So here she escapes. They drop her off three blocks. She manages to just duck out of sight, finds this older kind of shabby, I'm going to guess not so nice part of town. She's there for 10 days with these four guys. Mm-hmm. Again, her and four guys. So I can pretty much guess what she was doing for entertainment. Police get a tip and they get to the house. And so they arrest the four guys and yank her back to jail. Well, prison. So now she's got five extra years tapped on. So she's got a a life sentence. And then because of the assaults, they tacked on 50 years. So now they've tacked on another 10. So it's life 50 plus 10. Because she escaped, uh, Huey was very much concerned and it was a big deal on those 10 days that she was out. They like put a guard on Huey and the house and the kids because he just felt that she was going to make her way back to Springfield and try to harm the kids, especially Christy, because she testified against her. Right. So they were just, you know, above and beyond. We've got to find protection. Her. Right. So. They find her, they get her in custody, and Hughie talks to the governor in New Jersey, and he goes, listen, 
I got to do something. I can't have her in the same state with the kids. And for people that, that don't know, the state prison systems, a lot of them, if they have a very unruly inmate, inmates that have escaped, inmates that are very good at manipulating staff and doing just really bad things, they make compacts with other states and they may go to another state for a few years and then they'll go to another and another. So it keeps them, they can't get settled. Right. It keeps them going and they have to keep alerted the the new prison system. So they made an arrangement and she went all the way to New Jersey mm-hmm. and uh, she stayed there for 10 years. And finally, New Jersey was like, well, all right, you know, we're kind of done enough. with her. She's not ours. You know, our taxpayers are paying. She's not ours. But Hughie was like, she is not coming back to Oregon, you know, under any circumstances. So California took her. So she was at Chowchilla for several years. And then California made the decision, much like Arizona did with Perryvale. Oh, this is going to be a male facility. So they just moved her to, you know, whatever is now their new. Chowchilla used to be the the woman's prison. And I don't know which one now is, but they just, they moved her. But she's still in California to this day. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that she was able to get her associate's degree in general studies while she was in prison. Yeah. So many people get to get their college degree in prison. Yet, Hardworking people on the outside can't afford college, but the inmates, the inmates get the college. So, you know, here she is. She was up for parole. Oregon has got this crazy little ditty that most states, when you are convicted of murders and the the heavy duty ones, it's usually you're waiting 25 years for your first parole. Parole hearing. But Oregon, because Oregon's Oregon, they uh, had it where you're eligible for parole every two years. Now, when she got transferred to New Jersey, I don't know if New Jersey has to follow, if she was convicted in Oregon, and I don't know if they have to follow Oregon rule, but she had the two parole hearings, which she was denied, and Mm -hmm. then she had to wait 10 years, because I'm not even sure where the 10 years came in. That break, yeah. Maybe because when she was in Jersey, she didn't have to, she couldn't. She can uh, apply for it. Yeah, but they didn't make her wait the 25. Mm-mm. She she was eligible in 10. And she was due, what, in 2020, but because of COVID, it got postponed. And I have not yet heard what her situation was for this one. I don't know if she's been up yet because they're still doing COVID-y things. We're still not back 100%, so I don't know if she's gotten her shot yet. Yeah. I don't think she has as of yet because I haven't seen anything scheduled. But but here I thought this was like bizarre. So this is the this is the woman who's convicted of killing one child and really, I mean, screwing up the other two, mm-hmm. paralyzed one and gave the other one a stroke. So, I mean, seriously injured them. So, you know, here it is, 2020, COVID is here, and she is watching every news channel following Oregon, you know, and they were counting everything and showing who was doing what. And she was just glued to find out, hoping that her kids didn't get COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Tried to kill them. She's obsessed with that. And she got into Poe. I I love Edgar Allan Poe, but why do all the weirdos like Edgar Allan Poe. So here she is, and she's attributing. I was like, let me bust out my book right quick because I got the whole collection of his stories. <laughs> me too, me too, because I love Poe. But all the wackos like Poe. But she was started comparing COVID to Poe's Mask of the Red Death. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm done with this lady. Right. So, you know, not only do we kill the kids, but or try to kill the kids, you know, now we're watching the COVID thing. Now we're got the mask of the red death going. She decides she's making masks for the little kiddos 
at the children's hospital. Okay, wow. You just flip us, you just flip a switch. You kill yours because they're kind of inconvenient, but I kind of still like kids, so let me make masks for the kids at the children's hospital. I think um one of the little weird tidbits things about Diane Downs was the book that Anne Roll wrote about her. Mm-hmm. And the name was called Small Sacrifices, but more weird about that was that Farrah Fawcett played Diane Downs. I know. That was weird. I watched the show. I had to watch it. I had to watch it. I was like, I sat down in my living room and was watching it. But Small Sacrifices. So that's a very interesting title for the story of Diane Downs. Yeah, I thought it kind of fit. Yeah. I thought it was a very, very clever title. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I had seen it like back in the day like 1989, mm-hmm. back in the day. And yeah, it was like Farrah Fawcett. It was kind of hard to watch her play somebody who would do that. Right. And I don't know if it's because Diane was, you know, a fairly good looking woman. They That they picked Farrah Fawcett? Yeah. You know, but Farrah's hair was nothing like hers because you had the Farrah hair, but... <laughs> Out of all this stuff, I think one of the crazy things, because, you know, I love conspiracy theories. I don't know if our listeners know this, but I'm a big <laughs> conspiracy theorist. And I'll remind you guys that I grew up around Roswell, New Mexico. So oh. maybe that <laughs> has a lot to do with it. But, you know, there is definitely a they're seeking this truth that maybe Diane Downs was actually innocent. And some of the things that they point out was that, you know, there was they did trace metal tests the night of the shooting and they didn't find anything on her that the shooter was well within the car and would have therefore be covered with gunshot residue. Diane wasn't. And that she didn't have any blood or residue like when the gunshots. That the prosecutor would only adopt the children and then have another attorney send a letter to their grandparents instructing them not to visit them. The other one that was really weird was that there was a guy that confessed to the murder that, and he apparently looked like the description. Um, His name was James Claire Hayes. And so, like, this is the guy. I don't know if you can see this cat, just so you get a reference of what he looked like. And then, like, the sketch, right? So, I mean, there is definitely some similarities, but this guy apparently said that, you know, he confessed that he was the one that was the bushy-dyed guy that shot the kids. So Yeah, and the brother that supports her claims that a man named Clayton Nyston mm-hmm. provided a sworn affidavit in the 90s, which states that a friend of his, Jim Haynes, admitted to shooting the children because Downs found out about an illegal drug operation and it was to teach her a lesson and make her suffer. And of course, both of these guys are deceased, so there's no, and they died a a while ago, so there's no going back to them to find out what was going on. Yeah. And then the other thing I thought was interesting that, you know, her brother, poor me, is uh, now here you have, first off, again, you know, for people not familiar with what goes on in prison, inmates talk and news travels like boom. Everybody knows what everybody did. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just part of how it goes. So here you have a mother convicted of killing her children. Does not bode well when you're an inmate in prison because inmates don't like inmates that kill their children or hurt or other people's children Mm -hmm. or anybody, any kind of anything that has to do with kids. Yeah. No bueno. So her brother's like, well, she was often a target because of her notoriety. I don't think it was her notoriety. I think it was basically her crime because inmates don't play. I, I find it so odd that inmates do all kinds of stuff and then they wind up going to prison, but yet they live by the same rules that we do on the outside. Yeah. And I'm like, I have never 
gotten a good answer and I've never understood why it's okay on the outside for you to carry on and be a fool. But then when you come in prison and someone steals your honey bun, you're violated, you're crying and you want revenge. I think a lot of it has to do with, at least my perspective of it has to be that you know that these people are bad that are in there with you, right? And in the outside world, Mm -hmm. you don't know. And so you take everybody to kind of be like innocent, right? And so you don't have a guard, but when you're in prison and if you're in there for a bad thing, I think there's a guard that you have up. Right, but you could do bad things out there because some people are easy. Easy, exactly. And now in prison, it's a little harder. It's, yeah, because it's not easy because everybody's in there and they've done what you've done or worse. Exactly. Or they're badder than you. But anyway, so yeah, that, oh, poor little her victimized by uh, her, her notoriety of the case. Wow. You know, cats worked at the, in the, <laughs> in prisons and jails way too long when she's like, cry me a river status. That's exactly. Done. <laughs> I've Done. heard it gonna, all. I've heard it all. I'm going to go sing my own Hungry Like the Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's kind of pretty much where we're at. I think one of the things that I thought was interesting too about Diane Downs, that, you know, she came on the Oprah show. She was on Inside Edition. Like she was on all kinds of news. Like she liked that the light on her eyes, right? She liked to be in front of a camera. Does she remind you of anybody we've talked about? Yeah, plenty of people. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's just just kind of shows to like, you know, what was her real intentions? Was she really there to she do this because she wanted this married man or was it because she wanted some of the attention and she liked the attention? Well, considering that she's a narcissist, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the, she liked the attention. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because what, ask a narcissist. It's all about them. It's about them. They'll be exactly. the first to tell you, you know, the first to tell you it's, it's all about me and it's all these other people that did things and it's not what I did. Never. And I'm going to make you feel bad and guilty about something else to take the heat and pressure off of me. Exactly. Well, I, I really liked getting into this case just a little bit. I asked my mom about it and her friend that came down to visit her and they confused her with um, Angela Yates. So I was like, oh, no, that, that's a different mommy. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different mommy. That's for a different episode. But yeah, really, really interesting. If anything, I think this case is a lot closer to Susan Smith mm-hmm. than Andrea Yates. I think the uh, Yates one just kind of left a lot of moms a little traumatized too. Well, no, it did. And it's not that, you know, that was a happy case, but you know, Smith was the one that, oh, somebody did this. Somebody with my kids, here's a description. Find this evil man has the whole town wound up when she did it herself. Exactly. You know, Andrea Yates just, you know, had her little psychotic break and just did her thing in the privacy of her own home, but she wasn't traumatizing in a community because there was some crazy person running around that didn't exist. Well, I hope our listeners enjoyed learning a little bit more about this case and help you do your own little research and investigation, but it definitely was a different case. But uh, before we leave, we always love to leave you guys with another trivia for the question of the week. And that question is going to be, what are the four general categories of serial killer motives? (laughs) So please feel free to answer on the website or on Facebook. We look forward to your answers. Yes, and we really enjoy the engagement and look forward to catching up with you guys on our social media website and make sure to share our podcast if you love us so much with um, your friends. We're on all the platforms. Yeah, we're easy to find. So go out, give us a listen, let your friends give us a listen, pass the word. Yes, 
We're going to be doing our next episode on Robert Fisher. Ooh, that's as good as Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, uh, he just recently got removed off the top 10. So I don't know. That's That was a little lame but it's okay. We'll keep him there. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Good case. Good case. So well, we look forward to hearing from you guys. And uh, until then, take care, be kind, and stay safe out there. Yep. Just be careful out there. It's a big, big, crazy world. Yes. So until next time, guys, thanks. Thank you. We appreciate your support. So take care. Take care. Crime for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcatching software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime One or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Ninth for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Ninth for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.